0: Welcome to the Burning Eye Podcast, left of centre and never knowingly mainstream. I'm Jen Hart. This is episode two of the brand new Burning Eye podcast, where you can hear interviews, features, and exclusives from our poets and beyond. Today, I'm talking to Paula Varjak about the release of her debut collection, Letters I Never Sent to You. Paula is currently on tour with the book and she's up in Edinburgh today. So, hi Paula, what are you doing in Edinburgh? i here because uh, I, I've just kicked off book, actually. So I was in Glasgow yesterday at Sonic Youth, um,
1: which was pretty cool. I also got to do um, a sort of surprise support slot with the Sonic Youth crew for George the Poet. That was pretty, pretty fun. And then today I've just come to Edinburgh because I have the official, I guess, Scottish launch at Blackwell in Edinburgh tomorrow and then on Saturday I'm gonna be performing some new material and some stuff from the book at a night called Kirk,
0: which is put on by Freddie Alexander and I'm headlining. Great. That sounds really cool. Yeah. Nice. Um, so uh, you obviously spent a lot of time in Edinburgh this summer summer at the fringe. Um, what what were you what were you up to at the fringe this year?
1: Came with Dan Simpson, who I actually co-produced the Anti Slam with. Like I created the Anti Slam, but then what happened was when I brought it back to London a year in, Dan joined forces with me, and we've taken over the UK with it ever since. <laughs> so, uh, other than the Anti Slam, we also co-produced a whole series of events under under our company Bar Jack and Simpson, which is kind of like a co-hosting, co-producing partnership. So we decided we were going to take a week and do a different Bar Jack and Simpson show pretty much every day for a week um, and they're all wow. kind of shows that like mix together comedy and live art and spoken word so we're doing that and then in addition to that I was doing like something ridiculous like four guest spots today sometimes spoken word sometimes cabaret and then I also had two performances of my new show show me the money so it was a, a very very busy 10 days but super fun had, There there's lots of lots of late nights and, and sunrises as well so I really enjoyed it this year.
0: I can't, like, hearing you talk about that, I can't believe that you you were only there for ten days, like, that's such an enormous amount of stuff to fit into ten days. The funny thing is,
1: it's kind of pretty ordinary for what goes on in Edinburgh, I mean, you can't feasibly, I've known comedians who do something like five spots
0: a day, every day for weeks. (laughs) <laughs> so I don't
1: think I could do that longer than 10 days but I mean I've always felt like a more of a sprinter than a marathon runner so it definitely suits me more doing that than doing the sort of standard uh three-week run like I think I'm, I I mean never say never but I think it's likely that I'm I'm going to do the hectic 10-day model over over the three-week run any
0: any year and we'll <laughs> see what happens Fair enough. Yeah, I can see that. So um you briefly mentioned your uh, show, Show Me the Money, um, which you're you're doing a few more dates of this year and then touring next year?
1: Well yeah, actually I just had my, my last two dates this weekend gone at Canada People's Theatre, which is really All right. wonderful. Um, having just come back from Stockholm Fringe with it. So I've been working on it. Really intensely for the last years, but I, I collaborate quite closely with um, Martin Bengtson, a, a playwright and dramaturg based in Malmo, Sweden, and we've been making changes pretty much to every single show—quite drastic changes. But now it finally feels—I mean, I should not and wood, like it's done. I think, like I think, the <laughs> next time we perform it,
0: it'll be—it will be at least structurally and script-wise the same show, which I'm which I'm excited about. So the tour is going to be next March. Great. So um, Show Me The Money, if I remember correctly, is about looking at, exploring at ways, um, uh, um, the process of artists being paid for their work. Um, yes. Yeah, so we have, um, so this is a question that we often ask poets after we publish their books and things like that, about how they think having, is for spoken word artists and performance poets, how having a, a physical book changes things for you financially in terms of um, book sales and things like that. So, do do you think that aspects of the show may differ now that you have uh, books to sell? Uh, I mean, I guess yeah.
1: It's it's tricky because I. I mean, the book the book doesn't connect to the show. Although I am actually thinking about creating a book that does relate to the show, which is sort of editing yeah. transcripts of the interviews, It just can't work out if there's, if there's a market for that or yeah. not. But, I mean, in terms of the question of does it change things to have an object to sell in conjunction with, you know, what is an ephemeral experience, a, a live performance. I mean, I think it definitely does because we want – as much as we love what is live because something only happens in the moment, I think when we're really engaged in it – we want to be able to hold on to it and somehow take it away, and I think that's why we buy concert T-shirts and that's why we buy CDs at gigs. That I think often we don't even listen to. It's just a way of somehow in that high of a of the performance finishing of holding on to that experience. But I don't know. It's really interesting because I've never actually I've never actually pursued publishing. I've I've never not that I haven't been interested in being published. I just kind of thought my work wasn't really for for the page. But in creating the book, I. I wanted to approach it. I to approach it as something that was related to my live practice, but was definitely its own its own thing. And so, to be made up, partly of poems that have been performing over the years, but also lots of prose pieces that might have turned up on blogs, or might have never been shown yeah. at all. And it feels like they were meant to be in this book somehow. Uh, hope whether it's going to make a difference to what money I take away, it's it's too hard to know. Like a day into the tour, but what I will say is. <laughs> just before I left in London, I, I did a guest spot for a friend of mine running a night and uh, Hackney where I live. And I bought some books with me because I just thought, oh, why not? Because, you know, who knows? And there were only like maybe six, six or eight people in the audience, like not including poets. And I managed to sell five books, including the book that I had. So that's that was kind of a shock because that would have just been like a here's a tenor from the door as a, you know, me just doing it as a favor for a friend at a local gig, and it turned into like, oh, I just sold, oh, I just sold books. But on the (laughs) other hand, you know, I did this gig in Glasgow with like maybe 60 people there, and the set went really well, but it only sold one book, and I think that might have also just begun because people don't have tenors in their back
0: pockets that spoke more gigs. You know, I don't know.
1: It's really, it's really hard, it's really hard to say how how it's going to work from this point
0: forward. So it's a massive experiment for me. Right. Um, so I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about the the editing process for you and how, how that went. Um, putting pieces that are for performance on, on onto the page, like and how what what that kind of process meant to you.
1: I mean I found it really terrifying to be honest. And you know, still even when I knew I was finally gonna get to see the book after I mean a lot of people read it altogether I think there were I mean, there were three main editors, um, but then there were another five people on top of that who, who read it. So it, I should feel like everything is completely airtight, but there was still this really nerve-wracking of It's one thing to perform these pieces and to be what people remember in the room. It's another thing for it to be a document, an object that people can refer back to and scrutinize and linger over. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, I found it quite stressful. Even to the point where I was like waiting for the books to kind of arrive, I found it quite stressful. And, and I remember, um, an interview with Michael Stipe of R.E.M. years and years ago, like probably something like 20 years ago. This is like pre-internet and pre-lyrics websites, but like basically the only way you had the lyrics is if it was in the liner notes of the CD or album, or you were a geek like me and you just listened to it over and over again until you figured it out as best as you could. <laughs> and I remember him saying that he deliberately would never have the lyrics, um, uh, in R.E.M. albums, because he didn't want his lyrics to be scrutinized this way, and I kind of connected to that. It's like, yeah. you, you pick up what you pick up, and I'm like, oh no, but putting out a book. So, I think in terms of how it affected the editing process, uh, it made me listen, I, I took a lot of input from people who read and edited it in terms of, of layout, and I mean, my, my grammar is appalling, and I, I, there's definitely lots of things layout I didn't know about, and I think <laughs> I had people who were really great at helping me I guess try to find something that approximated the performance through the way it was laid out on the page, which was really, really helpful. And the other thing is I think it it really made me... There were lots of poems that I really love as live pieces um, and sort of monologue stories that I really love as live pieces that I didn't include because I just didn't feel like... Once they were sort of removed from performance, and then also because a lot of the stuff that I do is often have multimedia elements, so I'm working with visuals, I'm working with music, or sometimes both. And sometimes I just felt like it just didn't make sense on the page for me, or it was a yeah. too much of an inaccurate representation. So it affected it affected, I guess, the amount I listened to other people in terms of how things were presented, and it and it affected selection massively. But then equally, I would say. Probably two thirds of the book are prose pieces that I've I've never read out loud, like not even performed, just like never read out loud to anyone before. But I think work really, really nicely on, on the page, and there's something to read. So it was really just about kind of going. This is another this is another medium, and how can I respect this medium, and what do I have that that fits?
0: Not is it nine years worth of of yeah your, nine yeah. years. Yeah, so that's like a long time. Like, um, and I've just put um, a pamphlet of poems together, and some of the pieces that I have in there, I wrote like quite a few years ago, and I've obviously I've gone back and edited them, and now they're kind of like barely remnants of what they were before. Um, Do <laughs> like you just I I'm I'm really bad at like just over editing things, and then before I know it, it's like a completely different piece. <laughs> Do you uh, do you find that that's the same with you with some of the older pieces in the book? Uh, actually, the thing
1: that I found weird about the older pieces in the book is often what happens with me is I'll write something and then I'll I'll learn it. Like I, I only it's it, most of the time I often won't even read something new the first time I perform it. Like I'll learn it for the first time I perform it. That's changing yeah. As I get older, but that used to be the way. But then what <laughs> would happen is that piece would kind of. Go through series of edits just by my retelling it and reperforming it. So actually, the thing I found strangest about looking at the older pieces is the sense of what I think. Well, the wording that I have, or is how I performed for yeah, the better part of six years or, or whatever, was often very, very far from you know the only written version that I had had of it. It's more about you know sections maybe that were were included that weren't or words being in slightly different orders or emphasis being different so that was super interesting it's like oh right that started like that and I completely forgot it was also this part of the story or you mm. know or maybe there was more description here and this is what happened in the in the telling so that's quite interesting but I guess a lot of the older pieces have also been worked over over the period of time because whenever I've looked at them again I've gone oh you know uh, maybe 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 I want to kind of Rewrite things a bit. I think a, a rewriting happens within performance when you're performing something over
0: an extended period yeah. of time. I've just finished reading it, and and it's such a a long winding journey, like in a good way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. It was there. Is there any particular like phase or even just poem in there that that's your favorite? I guess.
1: Oh no! I, yeah, I definitely definitely don't have a. Because the funny thing is, one of the reasons I have to say that I that I am kind of really happy with the book is it it is a long-winding journey, but it sort of feels, even though it's a collection, it kind of feels like it's one
0: journey with a beginning, middle, and end. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's also very much because, um, I mean, in particular, actually, on
1: that, I had three editors of Bram, Carrot, and Bob, but I have to say on this line of, like, the chain of events. Bram was really great about saying, no, 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 you can't drop this piece, say, because this is a really important transition yeah. from going from here to here. I'd be like, oh, actually, no, you're totally right. So, yeah, I really don't have... I'll tell you the ones that I've been reading the last couple, of these two two readings that I've done, which is kind of interesting, as representative of it. I've been reading um, I Used to
0: Fancy You, which is from the London section. Yeah. And then... Uh, At least it's
1: not sunrise from Berlin. It's complicated from Accra, and then experiential from Madrid. So maybe there's something about those cities being particularly important to me and what they represent. And uh, I don't know. I think that probably gives a pretty good. Those four pieces give a pretty good flavor of the overall book. But then
0: none of them are poems, funny enough. So yeah, yeah, funny thing that. Um, so sprung it on you earlier if you wouldn't mind doing uh, one of the poems from the book um, even though you are in a busy cafe, a busy cafe.
1: <laughs> Yeah sure I mean it's not like I have <laughs> issues with um, exhibitionism so I can read in a, I can read in a cafe uh, Oh wait I, or I can give you a choice Would you rather Ooh, mainly because I can't decide Would you rather <laughs> I read Night Chat or You Come to a Point
0: um, I quite like. Oh, I'm gonna go with night chat. I think. Okay. Yeah. Um,
1: and I'll say this because it's going on a podcast, and that means there's a link I can send to him. So the person who is featured in the book who loves this poem because he's he has a massive ego, he knows it. It's Andreas <laughs> Grant, who's also um, an artist and writer and poet, he used to live in London, and this happened when he came to visit me and my parents one Christmas in Cropa, East Sussex. We were outside smoking. Winter hours made 4 p.m. feel like midnight. The countryside sky, free of air and light pollution, had so many stars our urban eyes were nearly blinded. I exhaled wearily and said, I was heartbroken. He, my friend, cast me a withering look, said, stop wasting your time with men, you're far too clever. He's a sometimes feminist, part-time misogynist. I suppose he thinks it accentuates his swagger, my newfound interest in men has placed below in status. He maintains that I should know better, and women are far more complex, allegedly. All I know is, the men I'm drawn to make me crazy. The women I'm drawn to are crazy. So, which side of clinical insanity would I like to be? I mean, where does that leave me? I shook my head, locked eyes of them, and said, Listen, seriously, man, I'm heartbroken. And the stars laughed. The night grew, grew darker still. He stubbed out his cigarette and walked back in, with not so much as a word in my direction. I think he preferred it
0: when I was listening. Yeah. So, um, just for listeners' sake, um, I'm recording Paula on my phone on loudspeaker <laughs> using my laptop. <laughs> it's a really comprehensive sound system I've got going here. Um, very complicated. <laughs> Can you give us some uh, details about your your next gig? Was it tonight? You you said it was tonight. Was it tonight? No, t- yeah, tomorrow. Oh, so tomorrow.
1: Tomorrow, um, I've got uh, a launch at Blackwell's. actually just around the corner from here. I realized, which I'm pretty excited about, and I think twenty seven or twenty eight people have signed up. So that's cool. pretty cool. Considering I don't live here. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, it, it was. It's funny actually because I realized yesterday in Glasgow that. That um, when I had been performing for a couple of years, I had this idea that I wanted to go on a tour, which people didn't really seem to do so much then on the folk world scene. Yeah. But I just—I don't know. I think because I was living in Berlin, and I thought if I was going to come to the UK and do some gigs, and it made sense just to do as many as possible. So I contacted everyone who I met who might know anything about touring. And with with Scotland, I met Harry Giles. actually, there was another artist I know, Ali Maloney, um, in a co- co- collective called The Chemical Poets, who I met at Fringe, and I asked him, where would I gig in Edinburgh, and he's like, you have you have to talk to Harry Giles, and he'll hook up with touring, and he was just phenomenal, and he basically hooked me up with uh, a gig here in Edinburgh, another one in Glasgow, at the Rio, which I think might still be going, another one in Aberdeen, and so I've been kind of coming and gigging in Scotland almost as long as I've Bridge, which which is brilliant because um a just because i really i really love scotland and i really I like having any excuse to come here and mm-hmm. i like audiences here i feel like my work my I, I don't know my whole sensibility makes sense here but it also means it's a it's one of the few places outside of london that i feel like i have some kind of audience yeah and people know me a bit and that's partly because of that advice from harry and felt very much to do with um these two amazing co-producers and poets, Jenny Lindsay and Rachel McCrum, who until very really recently were running a night called Valley Broad, and they have been really great about programming me over the years, so yeah, so that's how I, so it's it's kind of really cool, I mean I think there are probably people here who, who know me, who don't know much bigger names than me <laughs> in London, just because I made the effort to, to come out, like yeah. on my own dollar really, as well in the beginning and that, so it's super nice to come here and feel, yeah, just to feel like it's it's kind of another another home or another base.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, yeah. But, but the mm-hmm. other thing is, really, I haven't said that. I should definitely say if tomorrow um, at Blackwell, I'm going to, there'll be a support set from Grammy Gibbon, um, who's a really, really great poet and performer. And uh, he was the very, very first reader and editor the book I'm, I'm super <laughs> indebted to him for
0: his support for that so it only made sense that he should he should be performing um, his, with his book Ex Nilo so I'm pretty excited about us sharing a bill together wow. that sounds really good and um, just just lastly um, you're the so you've got some toilets coming up for the book but you have an official book launch that's happening in London on the 3rd of November
1: yes yeah well, basically, I wanted to do something, a uh, conventional launch was more like an event, partly because yeah. um, I think actually I got the idea because Amy McAllister had done an event for um, Are You a Single? The Cream when it yeah. came out. I can't even remember if it was last year or before. I wasn't able to go, but I had heard really, really feedback about the fact that she had curated it like an event, and she'd done this thing where the price of the event was basically the price of the book and got the book free. I was like, oh that's a really that's a really nice model and because I do lots of programming and hosting and I'm sort of sitting in between these different scenes, not just spoken word, but also theater and cabaret and live art yeah. I thought it would be for me anyways, as an event that I would want to go to the puncher, it'd be much more interesting to have like a night, a performance that was calculated the scenes the book rather than me doing during the meetings. I've done as a program. I think it's like five or six minutes we're all going to be doing five minutes related to travel, which is like one of the main themes of the book. Um, now I feel bad because I might forget someone, but I've got uh, James Harris who's a stand-up comedian. Yurika Katani is a stand-up comedian. Um, Adrian, sorry, Charles Adrian, uh, who is no more for his alter ego Monsameth Samantha Man, but is going to be doing a storytelling set as himself, uh, Lydia Beardmore, who's a great writer and performer, um, Lewis Barfoot, who's a singer-songwriter, and Rachel Mars, who's an incredible performer, writer, and uh, live artist. So everyone is going to be doing five minutes of travel, and somehow I'm going to have time to maybe read from the book <laughs> as well, too. And that's going to be at Phoenix Artist Bar, which I'm really like happy to be at because. It's, a, it's kind of quite a special place. Like, it's, a, it's if you're listening to this and you've not been before, it's um, this old artist members bar that's kind of tucked away behind Leicester Square and it's somewhere that I used to go when I went to drama school where you, it was the one place you could drink after midnight, but you had to be a member, but you could kind of blag your way in if you were somehow connected to performers. And then when I was in my late 20s, um, I was dating someone who was a comedy promoter and so I would hang out with lots of comedians at the show and lots of them were members of Phoenix so I used to go there a lot so it just seemed, yeah and now I'm a member because now I'm a grown-up and I'm kind of too bored to like black. it I just want to know if I can get it <laughs> it seemed like a nice place if I was going to be in central London to to have the night so it will be it will be there
0: yeah yeah I'm sad that we're in Bristol and we and I won't be able to make it but I hope you have a, a really good time <laughs>
1: Oh, but I'll be in Bristol
0: for for milk. So yes, yeah, really looking forward to, to, that. to that. Yeah, that's great. Cool. Okay. Uh, well, thanks very much for um, putting some time aside to speak to me today.
1: Sorry for the noise, but maybe
0: it's uh, actually I'm not getting any noise through on my end, so um, that's okay. I can't I can't hear anything apart from you.
1: Amazing.
0: Yeah.
1: For, if you're looking for the event on Facebook, yeah, it's uh, called Get Here If You Can.
0: Cool. Okay, we'll share that on our Facebook page and our Twitter and the social media globe as it is. Thanks very much for having a chat with us today. Cool, see you soon. All right, bye. Bye. You can buy a copy of Letters I Never Sent to You uh, directly from our Big Cartel shop. That's burningeye.bigcartel.com. Get all the updates from us on our Twitter and our Facebook page, Burning Eye Books. Um, And read more about Paula's book and our newest releases from other authors such as James Bunting um, on our blog, which is burningeyebooks.wordpress.com. Thanks for listening. Uh, We'll be back next time.